Welcome to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. To learn more about Salem Alliance, including house churches, gathering times, and other resources, visit us online at salemalliance.org. Today's talk is given by a guest speaker. Thank you, Salem Alliance, and to all of you watching online, welcome. I just want to take a second in particular and recognize all of the young children in the room to say we see you and we love you and you belong here. On behalf of all the RTI students that have gone before me and that are with me and those who will come after me, we just want to stop and say a huge thank you to everybody who has given through encouragement and finances so that we can be ministers of the gospel to the city of Salem and beyond as debt-free and field-ready as possible. So thank you. Well, I'm not up here very often. In fact, this is the first time I've ever done something like this. So I'd like to start off by introducing myself a little bit to you. And the first thing that you should know about me is that my favorite season of the year is summertime. Yes, right now. Summertime is in, people. And I'm talking, I love summer because uh, river floats, for one, and ice cream sandwiches. I'm talking like all out. The big monster cookies with the extra scoop of ice cream. Mm -hmm. Anybody else? That's right, I hear you. But beyond all of those things, my very favorite part of summer is getting mail. Now I know, after that epic list, getting mail kind of sounds like a dud, right? Like the coupons that you get but never use, or the bills that you get sent in the mail, that signal that you owe somebody else money, right? Ugh. But what I'm talking about are wedding invitations, right? I'm almost 25, and right now in my life, from May to August, I am keeping a special eye out on my mailbox for those babies, right? Now, the other week, I got a really special wedding invitation in the mail for my best friend, Cassidy. And this one in particular was very exciting because, I mean, this has been her dream forever, and she's marrying a guy that I really like. I think they're a perfect fit, right? Invitations for you all could look like wedding invitations or family reunions, maybe for the kids in this room, an invitation to a birthday party at the trampoline park. I was a kid once, I remember that. Um, or maybe a retirement party. You see, invitations are powerful because what they're doing are signaling us that someone is reaching out, asking for our attention, and often a response. Hello, RSVP, I need to do that. An invitation calls us to action and often into relationship. And today, folks, as we talk, we are going to be discussing the invitation of a lifetime. If you can believe it, an invitation greater than a barbecue or a family reunion. This month, we're in a sermon series called Amago Jesus which very literally means that at the core of who God created us to be, we are to reflect his nature and character to the world at large. I love in John chapter 13, verse 15, Jesus says about himself, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done for you. 
So in the 21st century, this means for us that in our workplace or in our schools, even how we show up online, every aspect of our life is called to reflect the character and nature of Christ. There are no limitations to this. As Brian Candelo explained in week one, as Christ followers, we do this by one, being in relationship with Jesus, and two, by simply doing what he did during his time here on earth. I don't wanna skip past the responsibility of this church because the one true God decided to use you and I as vessels to the world. This is a testimony about who he is. Again, as Brian explained in week one, we have an invitation to give, not just to behavior modification, but to a transformed life. And this is the good news, folks, right? This is the gospel. As we go out to be people, to make the city of Salem a city at peace with God, may we participate in the kingdom team and do it with excellence. Today, folks, instead of reading our passage from Matthew chapter nine, we are going to take a minute to watch a video so that all of our students can see the story in action. So if you will, take a second, grab those fruit snacks, settle in, and let's watch this video together. Stories of the Bible, Jesus Calls Matthew. This is Jesus. hey Who is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. While Jesus was on earth, he taught everyone about God's love and healed people from their sickness. He did many miracles like calming storms and even raised people from the dead. Jesus was in Capernaum and he was walking along when he saw a tax collector named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Tax collectors were hated by everyone because many people thought they were cheaters and sinners. Oh, not myself. Let's get out of here. But Jesus saw this man and said, Follow me and be my disciple. Me? Yeah, you. So Matthew got up, left everything, and followed him. Later, Matthew held a banquet in his home hey, yes. with Jesus as the guest of honor. Uh, here. Oh, thank you. Many of Matthew's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. Ugh, yuck. Hey, you! But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained to Jesus' disciples, Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Ah, uh, hold on there. When Jesus heard this, he told them, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, Now go on and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. So Matthew went on to be one of Jesus' twelve disciples and followed him throughout his time on earth. He even wrote a book in the Bible about Jesus' time on earth, and he served God for the rest of his life. 
That's my favorite part of those videos, right? <laughs> Folks, as we jump in today, if there's one thing that you hear from this message and we want you to remember, it's this big idea that Jesus doesn't see people as projects, he sees them as participants on his kingdom team. I'll say that one more time. Jesus doesn't see people as projects, he sees them as participants on his kingdom team. You see, what I love about the story from Matthew chapter nine is that Jesus leads in this example of an upside down kingdom, which means for our tax collector friend Matthew, who was looked down, of, down on and thought of as scum, Jesus invited him in to be an integral part of the kingdom team. What you need to know about the history of this story is that in the big God story, Jesus' ministry here in Matthew chapter nine is at the very beginning. And Jesus is looking for men and women whose hearts are ready for transformation. Jesus picks an unexpected candidate, and this leads us to our first point today, which is that Matthew is a surprise. In the first century, tax collectors like Matthew would have been despised. This is significant because in the, in the day of tax collectors, they would have been thought of as Roman teammates or collaborators, which would have been really bad news for the Jewish community. And tax collectors didn't just get this reputation based off of pure assumption either. You see, tax collectors were often accused of stealing money from people, overcharging what people owed and then pocketing the extra for their own gain. Did you catch that, church? Tax collectors were often thieves and yet, our friend Matthew, who was guilty as charged, is who Jesus chose for his kingdom team. We have to remember that Rabbi Jesus was born into the Jewish tradition, and he would have been fully aware of the dichotomy at play here. Jesus choosing a man like Matthew would have been like us as a church choosing a tax fraud to be our treasurer. It just wouldn't have made sense, right? And it's interesting to me that in Jesus' group of disciples, that Matthew is not the anomaly. We have Simon the Zealot, who would have been known for his extreme and most likely violent anti-political agenda. We also have Judas, who lied and snuck around, eventually betraying Jesus up until the very end. These members of Jesus' team were not the creme de la creme, as the French would say, right? By all accounts, these people were messy human beings with an intricate history of their twisted human experience. And to play on this tension a little bit more, Jesus himself was no stranger to the unexpected. You see, back in his day, Jesus himself would have been a surprise to the people that were awaiting a justice warrior in the most literal sense. You don't have to read far into the gospel accounts to learn about the confusion and the frustration that some people felt when they saw who Jesus was or how he acted. You could even say that many people in the first century missed out on the transformative work of Jesus 
due to their contradictory preconceived notions about how the kingdom of God worked. For example, the Pharisees, or the religious teachers of the day, knew the Torah forward and backward. They would have had intricate details of the scriptures memorized, and yet when the fulfillment of those prophecies was sitting before them in flesh and blood, they missed it. They were confused. Church, for us today, could it be so that in our imaging Christ, we may be missing part of his example because there are some of our brothers and sisters in our city and beyond who are being overlooked, underrepresented, or unnoticed. And could it be that in our embracing of all, that things might need to be uncomfortable or different than how we are currently practicing? You know, as we talk about this theme of invitation and the underdog, I couldn't help but to look back on our society at large and how much we love this story, right? I grew up on the Sandlot and Lord of the Rings, my favorite movies. I also thought of Rudy or The Greatest Showman, right? We just eat these stories up. When I was a freshman in high school, I had my own experience of making the team. You see, I had just graduated out of a low-radar, off-the-map middle school. So on that first day of walking through the giant halls at McKay High School, I was feeling overwhelmed, to say the least. And I know that there are some eighth graders in this room that that feeling will be you in a few weeks. I was there. Well, one day, at the beginning of the school year, I was walking down the music hall, and I saw this big orange door, and not the cute orange, like 1982 disgusting orange that caught my attention, and I decided, okay, I'm gonna take this doorknob and see what's behind. And lo and behold, there was my dream. This was the theater. I was so excited, because there were props, big and small, that were scattered across the stage. I saw upperclassmen who were running back and forth, preparing sets and props for the upcoming show. And I remember in this moment, I felt like this was where I wanted to be, right? But I'd have to work really hard, and I was content with being on the bottom of the social ladder. I had to earn my rightful place. So without hesitation, I picked up a pen and I put my name down on the next day's audition sheet. Fast forward through the frenzy that was casting, and lo and behold, I was chosen for a lead role in the upcoming musical of A White Christmas. Now this might sound like a bragging moment, but I assure you that in that time, I was petrified. Because what you need to know is that I had no prior vocal training. I couldn't dance to save my life. I probably faked it for auditions, but I couldn't really do it. And I was a ninth grader in a sea of seasoned theater veterans. I remember thinking, you've got the wrong person, you don't want me, and you've made a mistake. I wasn't qualified. Nobody knew me, and they weren't going to come see me for a show. But what was powerful was that my teacher took a chance and she invited me to the team. 
And this feeling of being chosen when you know you're not a fit is powerful because it calls you to action, right? The good news for us today, church, is that the invitation of Jesus isn't just for me in high school or for Matthew in the first century. Jesus has a history of choosing a community at large who are a surprise, which is our second point. Jesus's community was a surprise. As we saw in the video at the beginning, after Jesus calls Matthew to come with him, they go to a dinner party with more tax collectors and more sinners. This would have been yet again another first century no-no because teachers of God's holy word back then were not supposed to sit and eat a meal with sinners, let alone people with chronic sin patterns. My point here today, folks, is that Jesus often communed with people who had the religious folks, the Pharisees, scratching their heads, questioning Jesus's legitimacy as the Messiah. Scripture tells us that Jesus was even accused of being a glutton and a drunkard because he regularly sat around a table and shared a meal with people who thought, who were thought of as being the underdog, the outcast, and the unthinkable. Jesus was uninhibited in his kingdom invitation because he was looking for those who knew that they were a mess and needed a doctor. I'm gonna say that again because it's really important. Jesus was uninhibited in his kingdom invitation because he was looking for those who knew they were a mess and needed a doctor. Jesus says um, in Matthew 9 verse 12, he says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Jesus's community was diverse, right? They were everyday commoners who were living in real time muck and mire, and they needed a savior. In my last term here at RTI, I took this class called The Life and Ministry of Jesus. We were shown this picture behind me, which is a modern day depiction of what the Last Supper might look like. Obviously, this is different than what we're used to, right? You don't have to say anything out loud, but would you take a moment with me to observe this photo? Is there anyone here that looks like you or someone that you love? Is there anyone here in this photo who you wouldn't have placed at the table with Jesus in your own mind's eye? Friends, I believe that all along, God has chosen people with complicated and untidy lives to come and be a part of his team. I find it really interesting that Matthew didn't stop stealing money from people until after he entered into a relationship with Jesus. Like we talked about earlier, the disciple Judas lied and deceived others right up until the last moments of his life. Can you relate, friends? Are you struggling? Do you think you're too much or too much of a mess? Do you know anyone in your communities who think they can't come through the doors at church because they have to have it all together first? Hmm. This leads us to our third point today, which is this. 
The good news is that if you don't think you're qualified for the team, you are. You really are. Remember back to when Jesus said that it was the sick who need a doctor and not the well? In verse 13, Jesus wraps up his conversation with the Pharisees by saying this to them. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. What Jesus is quoting here is an Old Testament passage from the book of Hosea, which is interesting because the Pharisees would have known this. They would have had it memorized. And I think Jesus' critique here to the Pharisees is that they were so stuck on the regiment of the law that they missed the flesh and blood fulfillment right before them. You see, it's Jesus' heart for us to know and extend mercy. The Pharisees were looking for kingdom people who met a behavior bar, but what Jesus was looking for were people that were moldable and they understood that it wasn't behavior modification that would save them, but it was Jesus. Church, for us, I wonder if we have become so centered on disqualifying people from the kingdom team due to their not looking or acting a certain way. Maybe it's yourself that you're disqualifying. And I would even go so far to say that we are missing out, if so, because like the Pharisees on our road to achievement, we have narrowed down who we think should be on the team. We need everyone, all of you, to participate, to accept the invitation right as you are. It can't just be RTI students who are going out and doing this, or the pastoral staff. You are a part of the team, and we need you. Friends, I have a few application points for us. How do we go into our city and do this practically? So number one, This week, would you conduct a personal inventory? Would you take 10 minutes out of your week to quiet and slow down and share time between you and God to ask him to reveal to you the places in your heart where you might disqualify yourself or other people? Consider the picture of the table before with Jesus in the modern day setting and replace those people with members from your own community. Would you invite Holy Spirit to give you his heart for the people who may look, act, or think differently than you? Number two is a practice of confession. And I know this word feels scary and it might even create feelings of anxiety because confession requires vulnerability, right? But what I love about Jesus' example is that he creates a safe place often around a meal table. So this week, would you gather with people who are in your trusted circle? That could be friends or your house church, your families, and share the outcome of your inventory. Number three is accept. Whether you're sitting here today and you've never accepted Jesus before, or you've been following Jesus for 70 years of your life, The invitation is out, and it has your name on it. This is the gospel, folks. We are a broken people. Every single one of us, myself included. You can ask my family. We need a doctor, and his name is Jesus, 
and he wants a relationship with you. What he's asking for are people with hungry hearts that are ready to receive and extend mercy. We're gonna take a moment here to sing a song and worship. And if you feel prompted to receive that invitation or renew your relationship with Jesus, there's gonna be someone right here at the cross who would love to pray and talk with you. And remember that it's not just the act of walking to the cross, but the heart posture. So if you'd like to sit where you're at and just ask Jesus to speak to you, please do. Family, my exhortation to you today is to reflect on the gift and the responsibility that it is to be his kingdom team. Jesus has a history of picking unlikely members who were broken and needed a savior. In our pursuit to be a city at peace with God, may we be people of humility and learners of those around us and of Jesus, his heart for his kingdom. Thanks for listening to the Salem Alliance podcast. We hope you have been challenged and inspired. Salem Alliance is a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. To experience other messages and discover more about who we are, please visit salemalliance.org or download the Salem Alliance app. And again, thanks for listening.